0: Hello America and happy Saturday. I know you're not used to hearing from me on Saturday. We shouldn't be doing a John Solomon reports podcast on Saturday, but you know what? We're breaking the mold. We're throwing out the rule book. We're getting rid of the business plan. We're doing something special this Saturday. You're probably trapped at home in cold weather, in snow. You don't wanna go out and shovel. So I'm gonna give you an excuse to procrastinate. We're gonna do a Saturday edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Why am I doing it? Well, if you're going to do something like this, you're going to break the mold, you better bring something big to the table, and we've done that. We've got the one, the only, Dinesh D'Souza, here to talk with us about cancel culture in America. He's done a lot of thinking. He's He's been the target of it for years as he tried to create alternative movies and entertainment and documentaries and books for conservatives that they liked uh, in uh, Hollywood where they didn't like conservatives very much. So he's he's faced this cancel culture, this pressure, economic and political and social pressure for a long time. But what's really interesting is he is a guy that is not thinking about crying or whining or spitting into the darkness, upset that the election didn't go their way. Joe Biden's policies aren't what I want. You know what he's doing? He's trying to build a solution. And uh, given that he's building his own solution in the movie space, I want to talk to him today about where else can conservatives, carpe diem, take the reins, make a difference? Is it in the banking system? Is it in the education system? I think we're going to hear a lot from him on education. He's been talking a lot about how COVID and this year of parents discovering what it was their children were really learning, why it may spark a revolution. I think he's also got an idea for an online university Wow, what a cool idea. Imagine if you could get your whole college education for less than 10 grand. I think there's an opportunity to to move the world there. I've been talking to people who are doing it. So, But right now, here's what I say. We are going to stop talking because you're not paying to listen to to me. You want to hear from the one, the only, Dinesh D'Souza. So without further avail, uh, we are going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Dinesh D'Souza for the whole time. Cancel culture, uh, censorship, uh, deplatforming, demonetization. How do conservatives fight it? And we'll get the answer from Dinesh right after the other side of this commercial break. Angie's List is now Angie, A-N-G-I, the nation's largest home services marketplace. And they're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes, whatever your home project is, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. That's what you want, right? I'm uh, thinking about building out my basement in my cabin i've been perusing angie looking for just the right contractor to get it done the way my wife and i want it done now angie can help you find the best price for your project angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects both nationally and right in your neighborhood that's important right you can do comparative shopping get started today at angie.com That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The app and the website are free to use. Angie.com or the Angie app. Go check it out today. All right, folks. Welcome back from the commercial break. And I have a very special guest, a man who does not really need an introduction, but we're going to introduce him anyway because it's so amazing. Dinesh D'Souza is joining us today, the great filmmaker, the great intellect, the great man who makes me laugh on Twitter sometimes. Dinesh, thank you so much for joining the show today.
1: Hey, it's my pleasure. Looking forward to it. I have to. I I,
0: I, I promised I wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to do it anyways now. You cracked me up with your Twitter run on Ted Cruz and the whole Texas uh, Cancun uh, controversy, scandal, whatever you want to call it in the media. Uh, could you just give us your take? And I thought it was the funniest take of anyone I heard in the last couple of days.
1: Well, I have a couple of initial observations about Ted Cruz. The first one is I'm a little annoyed at the guy because, you know, he and his wife Heidi did not, I emphasize not, invite me and Debbie to go to Cancun. Imagine that. Now, I don't think I could go, John, because actually I'm doing a podcast as well and it's audio and video, uh, so the podcast makes it impossible to go. But you know, it's a thought that counts. Exactly. So I'm a little missed at yes. Ted, admittedly for a different reason than a lot of people on the left. Exactly. Um, And my other observation about Ted, which is, I I think this is a testament to the power of the man, is Ted flies back into Texas and the storm goes away. (laughs) Now, this cannot be a coincidence. It really shows you that we cannot survive this in this state for one day without Ted Cruz I mean how he does it I don't know but he once he got back basically things were completely under control listen
0: under the rules of MSNBC reporting cause and effect are obvious if something happens and something else happens it's automatically proves cause and effect so I think MSNBC should be reporting it but I guess you haven't seen him do it yet huh
1: Well, here's the other thing about the whole thing, and this kind of made me chuckle, was was that Beto, who basically decided, this is time for me to prove my leadership. And for Beto, proving his leadership (laughs) is always about optics. Yes. It's not about leadership. It's about the appearance of leadership. And so basically, Beto goes, we, we made calls to seniors. And I'm thinking to myself, he's talking about tens of thousands of calls. How many calls did Beto make? Right. Right. Probably two. two, right? Probably Recorded one to two. <laughs> yeah, mostly it was it was something like this. Hey guys, let's hit the phone. Right. you know. <laughs> so, and this is what they wanted Ted Cruz to do. Um, so when when I actually got to what. Ted Cruz was supposed to do. Now, look, I mean, there have been some policy failures in Texas. I mean, the company running the grid. I mean, there needs to be some investigation of why so many people lost power, why this was handled poorly. But none of that has to do with Ted Cruz skipping out, missing his vacation to Cancun. It has to do with what was not done prior to this black swan event coming to Texas.
0: Such a great point. And, uh, and in fact, before Ted Cruz left, he had already made sure he had secured the emergency declaration, which is probably the most important thing a senator representing a state in that circumstance does. So he did the checkboxing that the senator does, but you're right. It's the perception and it allows uh, uh, Democrats in the media to focus anger on someone because there is a reason to be angry about what happened in Texas. People were cold and without power and it's such a weird thing to have it happen in Texas, right? It's kind of like starving in a grocery store because you're the most energy-rich state in the world, and yet you can't provide power during a snowstorm. And what's your take about what, what lessons and what are the best ways to learn those lessons in Texas? It is a commission, an investigation by the legislature? How do you get to the bottom of this?
1: Well, first of all, a couple of general observations. I mean, I've you know I've lived in California now for twenty years and moved to Texas about three years ago. Right. Texas is in general a very well-run state. Yes. I mean, a very simple thing is you walk into the uh, Department of Motor Vehicles in California, you basically have to allocate all day, right? Because you get in at ten, you're not going to get out till about three. Um, <laughs> in Texas, you basically get out in thirty minutes. Wow! You're, I mean, you're in and out. You're back in your car in thirty minutes. I love it. So in all kinds of ways, Texas is a very well-run state. Now, now Texas is also a very tough state. I mean we get the you know we get hit by very bad hurricanes. Uh, look at the way that Harvey for example came through Houston. I mean just level yeah. the city. 80% of all homes were had damage from Harvey. I mean waterlogged I and so on. But you know no complaints Texas is back on its feet. Um, This was a surprise because it's the kind of event that doesn't happen in Texas. I mean, we just don't get enduring snow for a whole week straight, freezing temperatures. Um, I mean, a lot of people just don't have the facilities to cope with it. Their pipes aren't made for it. so. I think what happened is Texas got caught napping on this one, and it's precisely because it was—it's kind of like a 9/11 type event, something hard to get ready for, because the kind of thing, this kind of thing, almost never happens.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. It really is, and and uh, we'll get to the bottom of it. And uh, Texans uh, usually get things done quicker. They don't talk a lot; they just get it done. That's my that's my favorite part about Texas. So I'm sure we'll we'll get back on it for sure. Now, uh, the, within the crew story is quite really just a much larger issue that's afflicting America right now. It's something I'm just really concerned about personally, and that is cancel culture now really becoming not just the norm, but sort of becoming a corporate-like approach, which is any reason you don't like someone, let's get them off air, let's get them offline, let's get them off their uh, banking system, their, their uh, social system, their computer servers. How did we get to this point where uh, if you don't like someone, you can literally just erase them from the public discourse? It seems antithetical to everything that America was founded on.
1: Well, I've been wondering about that because it suddenly occurred to me that we're really no longer living, at least in terms of some of our basic civil liberties, in a free country. This is a startling Mm -hmm. thing for someone like me as an immigrant to say. But it suddenly dawned on me that, you know, we always think of America as like the freest country in the world. right? Um, Mm -hmm. And it occurs to me that when we objectively look at it now, we'd have to say that we're kind of in the middle. There are many, many countries much freer than we are. Um, Now, there are countries that are less free than we are as well. But the very fact that we are in the middle hits me with a kind of a shock. Um, I'm trying to make sense of it. Is it the case? One possibility is that the people who were supposed to be liberals, have all turned out to be illiberals. Um, <laughs> sure. In other words, we thought yeah. that they were liberals in the sense that they vote, wanted higher taxes and they wanted a big welfare state. But we assumed that there was an element of classical liberalism in them in that they Free still speech. believe in things like your right to disagree. Right. This is America, so you can say whatever you want. You're, you, know, you have a right to your opinion. I may not agree with you, but I defend all, you. Know, all of this stuff, this civics book, um, America, that we realize is not the America we live in now. Uh, I I wonder if the reason for it is this, that that these people were never liberals in the first place, but they were held in check by the fact that while they had the majority of the culture, Republicans still had a very strong hold on political power. Um, These people have never had political power and the culture both. Um, Now they had it in brief snapshots under Obama, for example, but of course Obama faced a massive backlash in the midterms that took away those majorities right. so now suddenly they they are empowered by the fact that they feel like we got the three branches of government even if kind of narrowly and we have a strong monopoly on the culture let's bring those two things together and crush our opposition once and for all so this is a very, this is a frightening kind of prospect because Ultimately, it is the job of majorities in a democratic society to make the minority feel safe, and they're certainly not doing that.
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly, that's what, uh, when you talk to people today, it's that feeling that the core protection that Americans always had for free speech, free right assembly, right to go to church. If you can go to Walmart, you should also be allowed to go to church. that That's the feeling that uh, it has been removed. It makes people feel for the first time really uneasy. When I talk to just everyday people at the coffee store or, uh, you know, in family conversations or friends, there's a growing sense that what made America uniquely comfortable is suddenly been pulled out from under us. You've kind of been talking and warning about this moment for some time. When did you realize the tipping point was there? When when did you realize that the freedom loving uh, and freedom guaranteeing part of America was was being pulled out from under us?
1: Well, I think it happened in, in stages. Um, you know, I saw this actually 30 years ago on the campus and my first book, which was Illiberal Education, a kind of expose of political correctness on the campus. I began to realize the vulnerability of the students because they were at the mercy of their professors and the yep. administrators. Uh, but the campus, to me at that time, I saw it as kind of an asylum, a lunatic asylum. And, <laughs> and not only me, everybody else saw it that way. When, yep. when C. Van Woodward, the Yale historian, wrote a favorable review of my book in the New York Review of Books, the predominant response from liberals was, no, 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 this is, this is, this can't be going on. It's too insane. Dinesh is just exaggerating the situation and so on. But I thought that this was an anomaly of campus subculture. I think the significant development of our time has been the the kind of – metastasization of campus culture into american culture so now the media plays the role of the professors and you know and the political establishment plays the role of the deans and digital media of course is the equivalent of the old campus speech codes and so suddenly we're living in an in an america that has become an asylum uh in which intolerance is now the order of the day so uh, I think it's been brewing for some time now, but what was once in confined enclaves has now become the state of our society.
0: That's such an interesting and And so there's two ways to look at this. I want to dive into this because I've, I've talked to people and they have very differing opinions, but I'd love to get yours. Uh, the idea, I, a lot of people agree with you, and I've heard a lot of people say that this this was birthed in the college campus cancel culture movement. And then was it planned? What Was it an experiment to see how it worked on college campuses and then you know, uh, like corporate-like spread across America, or is it more organic and sort of just sort of happened and then the pandemic just gave it acceleration and Donald Trump hatred gave it acceleration? Was it organic, or do you think that there was a larger plan by those on the left to say, listen, the only way we're going to win this uh, ideological debate is to uh, control the narrative and and suffocate those who don't agree with us?
1: Well, I I don't think it was... Well, it was a plan in in this sense, that there were intellectuals going back to not only the 1960s, but I would even say the 1920s 20s. and 30s, yep, that's right. who recognized that, that they would have to take the culture. This came out of the so-called crisis of Marxism debate of about a century ago, when the left was basically wondering like why did Marxist predictions not come true? And their answer was because the working class is subjected to what they call bourgeois culture. The working class guy is a patriot, the working class guy goes to church, he loves his family. So he's not just thinking about his his you know his union membership or or any kind of proletarian revolution because he's got all these other concerns that are shaping his personality and his allegiances. So, says the left, we need to take over those things. We need to take over The schools. We need to take over the universities. We need to undermine the churches. We need to, you know, weaken the power of the patriarchal family. And by doing this, essentially, we create a leftist culture that runs alongside leftist economics. Uh, And so, the left has put a lot of effort, a lot of investment in this. And I think they started off in the campus. And then what happened is that the. Uh, they were able to cultivate a generation of intolerant just little savages and unleash them on the society at large and that's what happened they didn't have to plan it because by creating these apostles and sending them out into the world yep. they were able able to achieve their purpose that way
0: and i assume by the generation you're referring to the millennial generation am i uh, making a guess there that's correct
1: yeah, I mean, the baby boom generation started all this, and then they unleashed subsequent generations on us. It's really been a cup. you know, the 60s is now a half century away. Yeah. So they're, they've been able to unleash, I would say, two generations of intolerance. We're just seeing the culmination of it. And, then, you know, it's really hard to see the stopping point at this point, because I think you've got people who literally don't, care about the Constitution, they don't care, I mean, they care about their own free speech. They right. would scream if their own free speech were threatened. But as long as they're in a position to shut other people down, you don't get the sense that people like, like Jack Dorsey at Twitter or Zuckerberg have even thought about this as a problem. I don't even think they see it as a problem. Actually, I think this is a solution. If you have the power, you shut people down.
0: Yeah, you look at some of the speeches and statements that have been made recently by Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg in particular, and Mark Zuckerberg no longer talks like a guy that's running a company that created, a you know, social communities, talking about a guy that wants to impose values. And, uh, the, the, you know, it's an extraordinary evolution even in, in their role. I mean, Zuckerberg for a while, I think, You know, tried to hold the line on free speech, but he's now talking about a guy that feels like free speech is the danger. And it's remarkable that a guy who built his billions on free speech now seems to be antithetically opposed to free speech. Um, Here's the question that everybody asked me today, and I've been involved in a lot of discussions with, you know, uh, big donors and big business people. How do we put the toothpaste back in the tube or is the only solution in America to create an alternative ecosystem ecosystem to what the liberals have with Facebook, Twitter, the universities, the schools? Um, When you look at this and and, and someone says, Dinesh, how are you going to restore the America I fell in love with and grew up in? What do you say to them right now?
1: Yeah, so I think that as long as the other side has the levers of power, I mean it's kind of silly because I, you know, sometimes in places I see these debates, and and they're really parlor game debates about things like, well, are these private corporations, and should we leave them alone, or should we repeal Section 230 protections for the digital? Well, the short answer is that it doesn't really matter because That's we it. can't repeal the Section 230 protection as long as Biden is in the White House and That's the right. Democrats are holding. Both houses of Congress yep. so this becomes literally a kind of parlor game of people who are not in power who are just playing rhetorical ping-pong um, <laughs> the, the simple truth of it I think in the short term is we have to build independent alternative platforms yeah. I've been a little frustrated with the fact that parlor is not like fully back in operation because yep. I think to me that's a that is a demonstration that they can't knock us out they, yep. they throw the George Foreman rain and blitzkrieg of punches. But if you can survive it and get back on your feet, yep. that shows you, you I don't need Amazon. Punch. I don't need Apple. I can I can stand on my own two feet. See, I I tried very hard to do this in the milieu of Hollywood. Right. You know They can never get me because they give me all these Razzies for being the worst actor, for playing myself. But see, I don't care. I don't even live in Hollywood. I don't, I don't esteem the things that they have to hand out. And so I'm liberated from them. Uh, we need to be like that with regard to digital media and media generally i mean we have to build our own platforms so i'm very much in the camp that says that at least in the short term we need to build an alternative educational infrastructure yep. entertainment infrastructure we need our own comedians we really need the whole thing we need our own america inside of america yep
0: that's that seems to be the only now talking to some of the smartest people and i, I count you in that uh, that seems to be the only option, which is, is we still have a free market. Let's create an alternative. And, you know, what would happen? I, I want to ask us If someone like Donald Trump or if 50 people like Donald Trump and you, really influential people who uh, have an audience that believes in you and trusts in you, if we all stood up one day and said, we're all leaving Twitter at once, obviously Donald Trump can't leave Twitter because it left him. But if, if he's told his people, listen, you want to make a difference? pull out of Twitter and Facebook tomorrow and come over to, you know, Cloud Hub, uh, 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 parlor and of course, you know, get, go off YouTube and go to Rumble, wouldn't there be an extraordinary market impact on these giant billion dollar companies?
1: Oh, it would. this is what we basically, John, here's what we need, okay? We basically need one online university that has assembled together the 100 top teachers and scholars in the world uh, that will offer a Harvard-level education for $5,000 a year. If you did that, you would make all of higher education obsolete overnight. I mean, the <laughs> universities wouldn't go away, right? but right. it was kind of like when the iPhone first came out, yeah. suddenly all other phones were obsolete. Right. We can do that for education. We can do that for media. You just have to make the right moves. I mean, Trump could create a huge media company that would not even just be talk radio on TV. It right. would be more like, a, uh, like CBS than it would be uh, like MSNBC. Right. Uh, It would have The View, it would have reality shows, it would have movies, it would have documentaries, it would have the whole gamut uh, of entertainment and news, and it would be huge. It would have half the country. All the other media channels will be fighting over the other half.
0: Yeah, 70 million is not a bad place to start a marketplace with, right? And you have your own Amazon, the Patriot marketplace maybe, right? You get your own Twitter, your own Facebook, your own YouTube and your own I I think the school thing is such an important part because we've there's an entire generation that was only given one point of view through their education process and it seems like now that effort is scaled all the way down to first grade I just talked to someone today who listened in on the online course that their first grader was taking yesterday and was so shocked so shocked what their first grader was being told they're like looking for a private school today I mean literally it happened last night um, do you think that uh, there is enough will and money and resources right now on the right to create that alternative ecosystem? Should it, and should it just happen tomorrow? Who, who 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 sounds the bugle and says we're doing it?
1: No, I think I think that the the money is there, um, and the the will exists to do it. It's just that our side is very erratic. Um, and the there hasn't been the creativity on the supply side to create these things. I mean, yeah. just think, for example, of the amount of creativity it took for a Roger Ailes to go to Rupert Murdoch and just yep. say, listen, you know, all these cable channels are fighting for half the country. Geez, why don't we start one make it a real thing, we'll offer a rival point of view, we'll take the other half of the country. I mean, it's so simple. It's a, it, was a um, hell of a business model. I mean, model. for decades, <laughs> yeah, for decades before that, you know, all we did, our side did was, you know, complain about media yeah. document the media bias. Oh, it's also biased. We're going to give the bias award to Nina. Who cares? Do your own thing and, and build your own, uh, you know, mousetrap. and that's really what Roger Ailes did. And that's a mo- that's been my model for the world of documentaries and even feature films sure. in Hollywood. That should be the model for education. That should be the model for everything. Yeah,
0: no, I, I think you're, you're onto something big here. And it just feels like for the first time, there is uh, that level of discussion going on. It's always been whining and bitching and complaining that the left uh, did something better than the right, and and I always look at my conservative friends and say, well, why can't you do the same thing? It, you know, Microsoft took a lot of great ideas from Apple and they made a really great company. And we borrow the model and change it. And I think that this moment we might be at that watershed moment. 2021 may be the year where enough forces come together to build that that ecosystem. When you look at the courts, how much can the courts help?
1: Well, the courts, I think, are are critical. I was talking about this actually on my podcast today, and I was thinking to myself, why have the courts been sort of so absentee on us at a critical time and i'm thinking here particularly i you know a lot of this poisonous discontent uh distrust of institutions the court could have jumped in and said okay look you know you're complaining about this election there's been a lot of foremen about it we're gonna we're gonna have a we're gonna put all this on exhibit we're gonna look yep. give it a hard look right you know they didn't do that now nope. why didn't they do that now of course one. The conventional view, they didn't do it because, you know, they're they're wimps and they didn't want to be in the middle of something so hot as an election fight. But see, I think part of the problem has been that we have submitted too much to a philosophy of judicial restraint that says that the court's job is to defer to the legislature. Yeah. I mean think about it. This ideology goes back to Bork and Scalia sure. all the way through Thomas yeah, and all the way right. through yeah. Amy Coney Barrett. Yep. But but my view of this is that no Of course, in certain areas, the courts defer to the legislature because we live in a democracy. But- When it comes to things like our civil liberties, we want an activist judiciary. And by activist, I mean nothing more than a judiciary fully vigilant and standing up against the legislature and against the democratic majority in order to protect individual rights. That's our constitutional structure. So just simply saying judicial restraint is not an accurate summary of what courts do. They should be restrained where they're supposed to be and activist where they're supposed to be.
0: Great point absolutely great point. One last question I want to ask you, because the legislatures are a place that I was pretty shocked, didn't appreciate the power they had when it came to elections. I, After the um, November 3rd election, I started talking to people in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, by the way, Republicans run all those legislatures, Georgia, <clears throat> who were unaware that, you know, decisions have been made by the Wisconsin Election Commission that changed the law or changed the rules for the election. Do you think that the le- these are still all Republican legislatures in 2021. Do you think that they step up on whether it's um, election laws and rules or immigration? Because it's not impossible that if you're a border state and you don't like what Biden's done, you can make your own local and state laws to handle illegal immigrants you find in your cities and states. Do you think legislatures step up um, in, in the Republican states <clears throat> where Biden won and try to uh, get the roles the way that their, their constituents want it?
1: I think that they will be much more likely to do that if we, and by we here I just mean the right in a collective sense, Can 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 help to protect our own side. I mean, one of the things that's so frustrating is how vulnerable rank and file Republicans feel. I mean, when even a Ted Cruz will stand up and call the people in the Capitol terrorists, in my opinion, those people were acting unlawfully, but they were not insurgents or terrorists. They weren't plotting a coup. They were in there for, what, 30 minutes. So what I'm getting at is that when you've got these state legislatures, now they're going to be harangued. I mean, right. they're going to be called every 15 minutes by the New York Times, they're going to be terrified, they're going to be, be see people showing up outside their house. Now what protection are we giving those people? What legal protection, what media protection, what physical protection, so they don't have to say, oh yeah, my kid's going to be harangued, I'm going to, you know, someone's going to shoot my dog, they're going to come and smash my mailbox if not my front door. So my point is no side can survive politically. that doesn't and protect its own team that's a it great looks point. to me like our legislatures will step up to the plate if we do that
0: yeah that's a great point yeah and they've got to build an infrastructure to do that legal and, and otherwise uh, donations and other things that That makes a lot of sense. Well, almost everything you always say, Dinesh, makes a lot of sense. That's why we love having you as a guest and uh, why so many people look to your wisdom to help us get through turbulent times. So I want to thank you uh, for doing this today. I think people have a lot of food for thought, and I want to keep this conversation going. Maybe in a few months, come back and see if conservatives got off their duff and did a little bit of carpe diem and got some (laughs) stuff done.
1: Happy to do it. I look forward to it. All right, sir. You have a great weekend. Bye-bye.
0: Take care now. All right, folks, that wraps up. Uh, our interview, we're gonna go to a quick commercial break, and then we'll wrap up the day for you. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane, like a tick bike, you and your family, All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. How about that? Dinesh D'Souza for a full half hour. So much to think about, so many provocative statements, thoughts, ideas. Uh, what What makes Dinesh D'Souza so unique is that he is always thinking about action, not just about highlighting a problem and saying, there's nothing we can do. He, uh, I think, subscribes to the idea that we are going to have to make a difference, step up to the plate, stop talking, start doing. If you're a conservative, that's what you got to do. That's what liberals did. Listen, you can hate George Soros, but you got to admire the fact that he built an infrastructure that made a difference, that got into every aspect of our culture, our politics, our education, our economic system. He fought for his beliefs and he backed them up with money and action there are billions of dollars of conservative money. There are tens of millions of conservatives. There's 80 million Trump followers alone. Uh, there is a marketplace. There is a school system. There is a social media market. There's a news media entrepreneur opportunity. That's why we started Just the News. For those who aren't happy with the status quo, with what we call the mainstream media, the Hollywood media, the uh, education uh, doctrinares, You don't have to just sit there and complain and go, I can't do anything about it. You can step up and do something. That's what our founding fathers did 250 years ago. I think Dinesh laid out many ideas where you can start somewhere today. And uh, next week, we're going to be talking to some other people who have ideas about what conservatives can do to end their sorrow and get their tails back in the game. Congressman Greg Stubbe is due up next week. I think we've got Kevin Sorbo, the great actor and director who, like Dinesh D'Souza, he's created an alternate marketplace. He's creating Class A movies for Christians and for conservatives and for family-friendly audiences. Millions of people are watching. He's making a difference. His wife has uh, created a a homeschool movement with some great books. All of that is here in uh, uh, actionable Uh, I want to highlight things of what people are doing, not about what things are complaining about. I think uh, that's a better way to address, if you're a conservative, what you're worried about in America. And if you're liberal, you already did this. That's what the last 20 years and George Soros and all the other uh, liberal entrepreneurs and billionaires did. They put their money where their mouth was. They put their shovel in the ground and they built an infrastructure to get what they want. If conservatives want that, they got to roll up their sleeves, learn their lesson, build out. Hey, Governor Newsom's been recalled. Did you ever think a Democratic governor in this era of California would be recalled? That petition level has reached that number. It looks like it's going to happen. If California can recall a liberal governor, other things can happen as well. Just think about that. Ponder that. I think Dinesh D'Souza gave you a lot of ideas. If you're somebody trying to get off the ground and get working, He gave them to us today. All right, that's enough. Have a blessed rest of your weekend. Thank you for spending your time on a Saturday, on a Sunday, listening to me. I don't ordinarily do this, but I thought what Dinesh D'Souza had to say was important enough to break in and give you something to listen to on a Saturday or Sunday. All right, we'll be back next week with more news, more exclusives, big interviews. You know what we do at John Solomon Reports and Just the News. We try to give you facts and let you make up your mind. News without the noise. Information without the indoctrination. Thank you for listening, for supporting us. If there's something you want to do to say thank you for Just the News, you know what you can do? Support our great advertisers and sponsors, Kansas City Stakes, um, Ancestry.com, so many great brands that support us every day. And uh, if you want to say thank you, just buy one of the services or products, let them know Just the News sent you. In most cases, you just use Just News in the checkout box and you can let them know Just how much you love us. All right. Happy weekend. We'll be back next week with more news from Just the News and John Solomon Reports. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't. You'll pay up Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy. When they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax advantaged, aligned with your values and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews.